0: Today's episode of the Read More Podcast is brought to you by the Miami Book Fair International. Eight days each November and all year round, with writing workshops, author events, and more. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm Marva Hinton. Today I'm at the Freedom Tower in downtown Miami with children's author Pablo Cartaya. His latest novel is Marcus Vega Doesn't Speak Spanish. Pablo, welcome back to the Read More Podcast.
1: Hey, Marva, how you doing? Great to see you.
0: Now, you were on the show back in 2017 when you were promoting your first middle grade novel, The Epic Fail of Arturo Zamora. Your new middle grade novel, Marcus Vega Doesn't Speak Spanish, is about an eighth grader living in Springfield, Pennsylvania, who's really big for his age and that actually makes some people look at him like he's a bully but he's really a nice kid who helps his single mom take care of his younger brother Charlie who has Down syndrome their father left their mother when the boys were young and they haven't had contact with him since when Marcus gets into trouble at school defending his younger brother their mom decides a change of scenery might be in order and takes the boys to Puerto Rico where Marcus was born and where their father is from and then Marcus begins this great quest to find his father now your first novel was set in Miami, the city that you call home, but the majority of the action in your second book takes place in Puerto Rico. I have to mention that all of this takes place pre-Hurricane Maria, which was a Category 5 storm that devastated the island two years ago. What made you want to write about this U.S. territory?
1: Well, you know, I'm, I'm Cuban-American and I, I've i always felt a connection to Puerto Rico um, because you know, in in absence of visiting, you know, uh, the country of my parents' birth, which is Cuba, and, and being unable to go back, um, I always I always felt a, a closeness with with the island. My father was actually he managed a baseball team in Puerto Rico, and and it's that, that saying that, that, that Puerto Rico and Cuba are two two wings of the same bird. Um, so going back there is feels feels like I'm I'm visiting a relative. Um, and and so I really wanted to, to set the story there. Um, I'm, I love the island, and and I'm also heartbroken in many ways for the island. Um, not just not just for the the hurricane that that devastated um, so many lives, but but also the way that the mainland U.S. Um, responds to the the people living in Puerto Rico and and. And a lot of the unfortunate politics that that take place um, as a result of just bad policies. Uh, so I wanted to really show show the island um, for its beauty, but also the complexity that it has. And and I was really proud of the response that I got for the novel. Um, and it's you know it's a it's a it's a story about the discovering your identity and and many young people, people really in general, they, they go uh, many, many years without realizing parts of their identity um, that has been lost. Um, and so, you know, you get a kid who, is, who, who was born in Puerto Rico but has not lived there, doesn't speak Spanish, and, and then goes back. And begins to discover parts of his identity that that was lost or that he didn't know, um, and so I, I really I, I really wanted to explore that aspect of the the discovery of of identity, and using a place like Puerto Rico as as the the backdrop for for that discovery.
0: Well, what is it about that loss of language that you wanted to explore? Because you know I've heard about situations sometimes where. A uh, Latino kid may not learn Spanish because his parents don't want or want to focus on English. Because, you know, especially if you're here in the mainline U.S., you think, well, my kid needs to learn English. And then the language is lost. And sometimes, like with Marcus, you're, you find a kid who is embarrassed because they don't speak the language.
1: Yeah, you know, for like, for example, I'll give you a personal story. You know, the first language that I spoke was, was Spanish. I didn't speak English. Until I was five, and I'll I'll give you one guess of what happens at the age of five in the you know in the United States. You start kindergarten, you know, and so I went to kindergarten, and immediately the Spanish gets lost because you're supposed to kind of check your culture at the door, you know, and just say, "Hey, we gotta like, you know, now we're gonna be speaking English because we're in America." And, that, and that, just that idea is so insane to me. You know, rather than an embracing of the multiple languages, uh, we, we are taught, especially children of immigrants or exiles that come from other places, we're, we're taught like, no, we have to assimilate. We have to um, erase um, parts of, of our identities. And what do you start with? Well, you start with language. Um, but it's so silly to me. And I and I and I always I make this point when I speak about this is is saying you know the founding fathers were all bilinguals at least bilingual you know and and many of them spoke multiple languages I mean Ben Franklin spoke I think six or seven languages and 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 these are all um, constructs of of a of a society that I think that is that is not. As embracing of the multiculturalism that this actually this country was really um, uh, founded for, right? Um, at least in my, at least the way that I perceive it. Um, and so, language is, is super interesting. You know, we, we go and um, if 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 you start um, with one language and then slowly it disappears as you're in school here. Right? Then there's, at least for me, the way that it, it worked is that I lost it and then I kind of was embarrassed by not, not, not speaking Spanish well or not being able to read particularly well in Spanish. And, and feeling a little bit of shame for that, you know, I felt like, what am I losing? Why am I, why am I um, not as connected to my culture um, through why am I not as connected to my culture? Um, because I don't speak the language as proficiently as I probably should, you know. Um, And so part of Marcus's rediscovery of his identity is also a lot of me and and how I journey to rediscover the language that I was, the first language that I spoke. Um, Now I speak fluently. Now all my books have Spanish in them. And I'm just like, "I'm, I'm, I'm not coming back. Um, and I love that. And so Marcus, Marcus's journey is, is in many ways a, my own personal journey through language and identity.
0: Well, through this book, you share a lot of knowledge about the island. For example, kid readers learn that people from Puerto Rico are U.S. citizens who can serve in our military, but they can't vote in our national elections. As a writer for young people, do you feel like you have an additional responsibility to entertain your readers, but also to educate them.
1: I'm, I'm telling stories. You know, um, I, I dig from, from very, very deep parts of myself and I put them into stories. I, I don't write with the intention of like, oh, here is a 12-year-old that's gonna really love this line. I'm writing the stories that I wanted to have when I was a child. When I was a kid, you know, um, and I'm not I'm not interested in in writing a line for a laugh, but sometimes the laughs come. And that's part of, you know, as we speak naturally, as we live in, a, in, a, in the world, we, laughter sometimes a part of it. Sometimes tears are a part of it, sometimes rage, um, sometimes hope. And and so these things are all um, elements of what what I try to Im- you with my my words and my stories, um, but I'm not necessarily writing to to the age or to to a, a certain you know like uh, demographic or anything like that. And I think that I, I love I love writing in this in this field because you can't um, you can't B.S. a young reader. I, I, I think we can use BS in this on this show, right? <laughs> um, you you can, and I love that. I respect young readers so much because you write a line and they will call you on it if it's not true, and I love that. Um, and there's there's this sort of sense of uh, of honesty that you have to write with, um, or a young person will not respond. They will turn it away, and that could be that it's. Has a wizard in it, or it, or it's a story of a six foot, hundred and ninety pound kid who goes to Puerto Rico to find his estranged father. Like it doesn't matter if it doesn't feel true. Young readers will not turn to it. They won't. They won't absorb it. And I. And I respect that. And I love that about this field. Um, so I think in many ways, I'm, I'm just writing as truthfully as I possibly can.
0: But when you are writing, do you write with a particular reader in mind at all? Like, do you envision a, I don't know, do you see a boy who might be like Marcus? Do you see someone who uh, may be struggling with their identity and, oh, that, that kid would really like this, or or this Latino kid would really like it because I'm writing about Latino family, or this kid has some sort of connection to someone with an uh, intellectual disability, so they might really... You know the story might really resonate with them or are you just saying I'm going to tell a good story and it you know whoever chooses to pick up this book chooses to pick up the book?
1: I mean so there's there's two sides to that so yes I I do want to tell a good story and 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 I'm trying to tell it as truthfully as possible and yes I want anybody to pick up my book and read it and and find some kind of connection if they if they are so inclined Um, but who am I writing this for you know it's interesting because when I was a kid and there's you, you you hear a lot from writers of color that, that they'll say I didn't see myself in a book, you know, and I certainly didn't. Um, being Cuban American, that didn't exist to me. I mean, for me, the closest thing that I got was 19 reading The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros. Um, but the the idea of of not seeing yourself in in a story when especially when you're a young person um, is pretty complicated because we how do we know what we're missing if we never know what we have, right? So we don't know... I never knew there was a possibility to have a Cuban-American character like I did in the epic fail. I never thought there was a possibility that, you know, a big tall kid with his with a younger brother with Down syndrome goes to Puerto Rico to find their... I never knew that those stories could possibly exist because it wasn't around. It just simply wasn't. And so for me, what was normal was... You know the, the 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 white kid in in somewhere in Middle America with a dog, and and the dog dies inevitably, <laughs> and, and so that's and that's where you come to it. Or um, highly f- fantastical, you know. There's a fantasy, and even the fantasies, it's always the clear-eyed hero, you know, the fair-skinned maiden, you know, and all this stuff, and so you you don't realize it until later. Until you start developing your own craft, you're like, wait a minute. But I don't want to be a fair-skinned maiden. I I want to. I want to be like you know, a a tan-colored, you know, uh, protagonist with dark brown eyes and and curly hair. And so I, as I developed my own artistic sensibilities, I realized this is what I'm writing for. I'm writing for those, you know, for those kids who are who maybe don't even realize that they're missing their own story. And, and, and that's what I hope that my books achieve. But, but again, my books are for everybody. But there's a sweet spot for me, um, and, and it comes from a very deep part of myself, which is I'm writing so that that kid has the opportunity to claim their story when they see themselves.
0: I know you're on a book tour right now, uh, going out and doing readings in schools and meeting kids. Are those types of stories that you're hearing from kids that they feel seen, you know, through Marcus um, or, you know, just through his family and their story?
1: Absolutely. It, it, I, everywhere I go. And, and by the way, I've been, you know, I just came back from Grand Rapids, Michigan. You know, I was in Boise, Idaho. I mean, these are places that I, I, that at least I did not historically um, connect with Latino or Latinx culture at all. Um, but I go to these places and I speak in front of all these young people. And I usually start my my talks like in Spanish. So I'll go, a ver, aquí, ¿quién aquí quiere su abuela? And, and you see all of a sudden there's... A quarter of the kids raising their hands excitedly and I'm like wait what in in Grand Rapids Michigan you know and then all of a sudden their eyes just brighten and they get really really excited and a lot of my stories or a lot of my you know the, the way that I present you know when I speak to them is very anecdotal so very historically uh connected to my own journey and 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 they're, and i see them just nodding and, and shaking their heads and they're so in it and then afterwards when i'm you know signing a book or something you know like the kids are like coming up to me and like gracias señor gracias por, por venir and, and it's like oh and and they start connecting in ways and one of the ones that i love the most is when the kids come with their parents and their parents are in tow and they've bought the book and the parents are super excited because they say, okay, we're going to read. Them. Vamos, vamos a leer esto junto. We're going to read this together, and I love that. And so there's, there's a, uh, like a proud recognition, you know, el orgullo latino, you know, that you you can you feel proud that someone out there is speaking, um, and and I've gotten lots of kids, lots of kids that'll come up and say, this is the first time that I've ever seen myself in a story, and it's amazing, um, and it's and I'm and I'm proud to be able to to have a, a small um, part in, in, in changing the way that we view ourselves in stories.
0: In this story, we see a lot with Marcus and how he feels about his younger brother who has Down syndrome, as we've already said. And writing about someone with a disability can be kind of tricky, especially if you don't share that disability. What did you do to make sure you got Charlie's story just right?
1: Well, I love I love talking about this because anybody who has spoken about this book, um, very few people have said it's a book about a special needs character. They say it's a story about my kids searching for his father. It's a story about brothers. And I love that. My my family has a very long history um, working in the special needs community, specifically with individuals with Down syndrome. We have tons of family friends um, who are, you know, awesome, you know, individuals with Down syndrome and, 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 and really, like, literally hang hang out with us. We go to the movies together and things like that. Um, and when I was setting out this story, I always saw Charlie as being one of these individuals. And it was exciting to me, because I wanted I wanted it to be not about the disability, but about the brotherhood, and I've I've known so many um, individuals and families who aren't looking at this like, oh, this is my my little brother with Down syndrome. It's like, no, this is my little brother, and and all that that comes with, and so. I, I really wanted to represent as authentically as I could, and I set about consulting, um, you know, speech language pathologists, um, the several schools, spoke to lots of families, and and really wanted to get the nuance right. And and one of the specifically um, in terms of the text, how do I present? How do I present Charlie speaking? That is authentic to the way that an individual with Down syndrome would speak, and and so when I went through all the text, I consulted uh, a, a speech therapist who specializes in the Down syndrome population, and and she told me, she's like, okay, well, this is great, but but typically um, a care uh, a, an individual with Down syndrome does not um, use contractions; they'll say do not, they'll, they won't say don't. Um, so you gotta you gotta fix all that and I found that really fascinating because it's a nuance that most people will not get um, but I wanted to make sure that it was authentic so I went through every single line that Charlie went through and I made sure and then I, I i took it apart and then I sent it to her again and I said well is this is this accurate and and then we worked on it several times before we made sure like okay yeah this is it and then I went and I, and I consulted um, a few educators, special needs educators, and I said, okay, is this typical, would this be typical behavior? Um, just to make sure, even though I knew the population very well, I wanted to make sure that it was also uh, respectful of the population, the community, and the way that it would be. Consulted family. Um, I did the work, and it took a long time, uh, but I think that the result is this fully- Developed character. I I mean, Charlie's one of my favorite all-time characters because I, I see him. He's real to me, and that's what I wanted. I didn't want it to be like, oh, now I have to take care of my little brother because he has Down syndrome. Like, no, Charlie messes with Marcus all the time, and in many ways, Charlie is also protecting Marcus. But it's not that protection of like, oh, my little brother with Down syndrome, make me see the light, maybe see like all this. No. They rag on each other, they mess with each other. They are a family. And they they come together, right, on this search for identity together. It's not one is like, oh, let me prop this little character up. Like I wanted it to be fully realized. And I'm glad that people have responded to it the way they have, because it's, it's not a story about a, ch- a kid with Down syndrome. It's a story about brothers. And this character happens to have Down syndrome, um, which is also a, uh, a way of expressing that what we see on the outside is not always what is on the inside. There is so much more that we, that we have and that, that we're given credit for so it's it's all part of that that sort of um, connection that, that I'm trying to make um, and make it as authentic and real as possible
0: now I'd like to just ask you a few questions about what you like to read and the writers you enjoy you write for kids who are you know, between 9 and 12 roughly uh, when you were that age what did you like to read
1: well, again, like I said, I, 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 what did I like to read? I like to read Jules Verne. Um, I read Raul Dahl. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of stories that you look and you're like, okay, these are adventure stories. And, um, it was, it was, it was cool. And I'd certainly liked it. I would have loved to have read some of the books that are out there now, um, as a kid, you know, um. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Elizabeth Acevedo. She wrote the poet X, won the National Book Award, Afro, Afro-Dominicana, like, and that book is so amazing. I would have devoured that, and it's a book in prose, um, in in verse, and it's it's just so good. It's about growing up in the Bronx, and this poet finds her voice, and she's a teen, and it's so cool. Um, and there's so many authors that are writing such. Unique individual stories. Um, you know, Celia Perez wrote the first rule of punk about you know a little a little brown girl who loves punk rock, and I think that that those kind of stories I would have loved those as as a as a kid. Um, but when I was growing up, I mean, that's what I had. I had what was available to me. So I, I read a lot of Jules Verne. I read a lot of Roald Dahl, Madeline Langle, you know, um, you know, Rickland Time kind of things. Uh, but again, I didn't really come to understanding what I really wanted to see in my stories until later on, when I was developing my own voice and then picking up books like Sandra Cisneros, you know, like Christina Garcia, um, that I could finally start connecting the pieces of what kind of stories did I want to read as a kid. I can tell you what stories I read, but I can tell you what kind of stories did I. Want to read, and they are much closer to the stories that I see out there now. They're, there's a big effort trying to, you know, create s- stories that are um, c- centering stories from the margins. That's the that's the um, official sort of uh, uh, tagline for the, my new publisher, Kokila, which is a division of. Um, it is an imprint of, of Penguin Random House. And Coquilla, I love it because it's the catchphrase is centering stories from the margins. And I love that. And that's what I want to read. Um, That's what I wish that I had as a kid. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, if you were in a situation where you could set up a dinner party with five other authors, uh, who would you invite and and they could be living or dead. Who would you invite, and what would you serve? Because I know you're very much into cooking as well.
1: Oh, interesting. Well, I mean, do, I mean, do, can can I actually know them? <laughs>
0: yeah, you can actually know them. That's fine. Okay.
1: Um, I don't. Yeah, because I mean, you know, when you when you're out on the road a lot, you you especially at conferences, you you meet a lot of. Um, you know a lot of colleagues so to speak you know and then and then you see each other multiple times and then you become friends and it's it's always exciting um and i living or dead i mean it's because i would be super like i would love to have like, been around, like, Pablo Neruda or Garcia Marquez, you know, like, just super, you know, because, but I would feel so inadequate around them. <laughs> I would feel like, mm. uh, James Baldwin, my gosh, you know, and I would just, like, I think I would just be quiet and just cook whatever they wanted, you know, I just, or maybe, I'd, I don't know, I don't know what I would cook. Maybe, maybe i do a fricasse de pollo and just kind of, like, add my own little like my own little flavor to it and not say a word and have James Baldwin, Pablo Neruda. There you go. James Baldwin, Pablo Neruda. Um, Ralph Ellison. That, that book was transformative for me. It was Invisible, uh, invisible Man was was transformative. Um, Gwendolyn Brooks. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, so, so let me do two dinner parties. <laughs> <laughs> okay you can do two let me do, let me do two dinner parties so so one is like my my like literary god dinner party that I'm just gonna just not speak and just cook and serve and just let them talk I'm not even gonna sit at the table I just want <laughs> I'm just gonna serve them fricasse de pollo and and, and Plato maduro and stuff like that and pour their wine and just you know and I'm sure that maybe like and hope that maybe they invite me to sit and I feel like they probably would um so yeah, we'll say Gwendolyn Brooks, um, Ralph Ellison, James Baldwin, eh, Pablo Neruda, Garcia Márquez, and see what happens. Um, and then, and then, like my my more contemporary, you know, my more contemporary one, I would definitely my my peeps, uh, Meg Medina, who just won the Newbery. Uh, I I adore her. Uh, Matt Peña. Lilian Rivera, who has an amazing new book out called Dealing in Dreams, and it's, like, Latinx, like, girl gangs uh, in a futuristic world where, like, where they all live in this place called Mega City and all the and the women dominate. And the book is so fire. I love it. Um, her and what do I get one more?
0: Wait, I think. I think you've only said... Three. Three. Okay. So you get two more. Two more.
1: Okay. Uh, Celia Perez, who I, who, her and I share an editor. Uh, well, we don't share an editor. We've had the same editor, <laughs> um, and and we. She's like my book sister. She's she's a lot of fun. And then Isabel Quintero, who who just came out with a new picture book called uh, My My, Poppy Has a Motorcycle, in English and in Spanish, and she's amazing. And she wrote a a, a really great book called Gabby, a Girl in Pieces, and those. That's who I would want to like have dinner with, but it's that one is more like we'll do like chicharrones and we'll, we'll do like uh, let me see I don't think any there I don't think there's any I don't think there's any vegetarians in there. Um, I'd have to ask. You know what the thing is I'd have to ask Meg what she wants on the menu. Meg Medina would 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 say look I'm gonna tell you what what I'd like and then I just make it.
0: <laughs> okay, that's nice. That's nice. So, what are you reading right now?
1: Um uh, right now, let's say, well, okay, so I picked up um the collected poems of Mary Oliver that that just came out, I think last month after she passed and I was I was interested. I, when I, when a when a, a big um writer passes, I always get very curious about the work. And I've and I've known Mary Oliver's poems um but I haven't you know, but I hadn't like spent extended time with it, and I and I bought this really really beautiful collection, giant collection, of of collected uh, poems, and and that's been really nice. And I have actually like we um, at night, um, I usually pick a poem and I read it out loud, and then I have one of my kids pick a poem and read it out loud, and we all kind of read and discuss it, and that's been really nice. Um, there's there's another one um, out by uh, by Elizabeth Acevedo. Um, I think it's from The Fire on High, and that's that's um, I'm excited to start reading that one. I have that one on my shelf. So,
0: yeah. Well, you mentioned the new imprint that you're going to be uh, writing under. Tell us a little bit about the book you have coming out later this year under that imprint.
1: Yeah, so it's Kokila uh, Books, and it's an imprint of. Penguin Random House, and like I said, I love you know the the concept of it is centering stories from the margins, and my my book I'm actually on the debut list, um, uh, and that that book it's called Each Tiny Spark Each Tiny Spark, and it's primarily it's my first female protagonist, and I was very excited uh, very excited about that, and it's a story essentially about a father and a daughter and how they um, they come together again through, through welding and, uh, rebuilding a car and it's set in Northern Georgia in a small fictional town in Northern Georgia. And, um, dad returns from, from deployment and he's a little off and, and, uh, his daughter Emilia is trying to figure out why. And so they end up communicating through re- the rebuilding of this car. Meanwhile, there's, there's this underlying, uh, Change happening in the community, um, s- specifically about you know black and brown bodies being moved into a into the town, to the school, and Emilia, who's Cuban American, um, you know, is kind of in the the center. Trying to see like how the town is responding to this, and she starts kind of questioning like, what is actually going on here, and how do we, you know, how how are we um, missing the how are how are we looking at um, immigration and race through these small towns and just kind of like her first moment of like like of oh, she I don't, I don't like the term woke but she it's like she she sort of becomes aware of of the sort of community is not all what it seems and so it's like this kind of um, opening up of of some of the complexities that some of these small towns have, especially with regards to immigration policies and stuff. So that's kind of like the underlying themes of the book, but really it's a story about a, a father and a daughter. Really excited about it. I can't wait.
0: Well, it sounds good. I can't wait to read it. Pablo Cartaya, thank you so much for coming on to talk about your work.
1: Thank you so much, Barbara. It is always wonderful speaking with you. I go go off. (laughs) I go off. I'm like, ah, I get super excited.
0: (laughs) And I enjoy it, too. It's always a pleasure. We also want to thank the Miami Book Fair for sponsoring the show and for hosting us today at the Freedom Tower. You can find out how to win a free signed copy of Marcus Vega Doesn't Speak Spanish and the epic fail of Arturo Zamora on our website, readmorepodcast.com. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. You can also support Pablo and the show through buying both books on our site and by pre-ordering his new book, Each Tiny Spark. You can also follow us on Twitter at Read More Podcast and like us on Facebook. Join us again in two weeks for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. Until then, I'm Marva Hinton reminding you to read more.